This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everyone, real quickly here before we dive into this episode, I want to talk about e-scouting. Now if you're listening to this show, I got nothing but love for you. Um, And if I didn't truly believe something was going to drastically improve your odds of becoming a better hunter... I wouldn't even bring it up. I recently took an e-scouting course called Treeline Pursuits. Now, if you haven't heard of Mark Livesey, he is pretty much the best in the world when it comes to e-scouting. He's developed an online educational tool that not only combines his extensive knowledge of successful elk hunts, uh, but his massive knowledge in e-scouting. What he's done is he's put a course together that's going to teach you e-scouting techniques and strategies, how to find and identify elk holding features, how to evaluate zones of pressure and trail usage, determining limitations and hunt parameters, researching and developing hunt areas, planning travel and hunt routes, identifying and testing glassing spots, glassing strategies, formulating a a strategic hunt plan, maximizing the full potential of your mobile hunting apps, effectively utilizing prime hunting hours. Now, this course is designed to help improve your odds of killing an elk. But what I plan to do is take the knowledge I've learned in this course and apply it to other hunts that I plan on taking this year or in the future, you know, mule deer, bear, moose, whatever it is you're going to be after, you're going to be able to use these tools and and take them in and apply them to your hunt. It's only going to make you a better hunter. It's going to cut your boots on the ground time down. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm still a huge proponent of boots on the ground, but, uh, you know, go check it out, folks. Believe me, it's worth it. And, uh, you know, because Mark, he loves us Canadians so much, he gave us a promo code to save a bet. Use the promo code FOCUS22 at checkout and you're going to get 20 US dollars off. Um, So great deal, guys. Check it out. And as always, guys, uh, make sure you subscribe give us a five-star rating uh pete and i we really appreciate all that well this sucks want to throw it in there that i do have this wet this webinar um that's going to be next tuesday 
at 7 um, p.m. Mountain Time. If you're a member of the course, like I guess you are now, um, it's it's free. It's just we're just going to go over snow analysis, terrain, landscape, elevation bands, how to identify all that, where the live snow is, where the active snow is during the time you're going to hunt, yeah. and then how to double check it before you go. Um, and because uh, with bears, particularly snow is like a big deal here. I mean, you know, you got to get to the right elevation. And so it's critical that you understand that, or you just drive up into the mountains. And if you get to the point, you can't drive anymore. And you're like, okay, I got to change my hunt plan. That's how most guys do it most of the time. But there's so many good tools available now that uh, there's no real need, no real reason to do that. And not to mention gas is not like super cheap at the moment. <laughs> We're going to be having our little mopeds out there on the mountains. No, everybody, everybody's going to have an e-bike this year. I'm, I was kind of excited for this one too. And usually I'm not all excited for some podcast to be honest. And, um, cause I have, this is my first Canadian podcast. And I'm like excited about oh, it. Cause I actually, oh, awesome. Cause I actually have some things. I did some research for you guys, um, a little bit before I, you know, I did do a little bit of prep, so we can get into that. So nice. that's awesome. Well, well, that's pretty cool. We get to pop your cherry. So, right. First time I've talked about this. Stuff, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mark. Well, uh, yeah, for the for the listeners who recognize your voice, um, we're, we're talking with Mark Livesey from uh, Tree Light Academy. Hey, Mark, maybe you can just start us off by giving us, you know, a little bit of background on you, who you are, and, uh, you know, how you came up with this whole idea for some online material for e scouting. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I kind of tell this story a lot, but it, it's an interesting story because um, I'm from Missouri, you know, central U.S. And um, I've been elk hunting. This will be my, I, I always kind of get, I always, I don't really know what year it is. Let's just be honest. It's either my 33rd or 34th year. And I missed two years in there. So it's not consecutive, but I've been hunting elk for, you know, 33, 34 years. And for 25 of that, um, well, actually more than that, 27 of that, I drove from Missouri. And so when you're coming from the East to the West, you just kind of acquire some skills. If you're going to hunt, you know, I usually would do 20 to 30 days a year, um, from Missouri, you know, and so to do that volume of hunting in multiple States, I just learned a few things about how to identify locations that elk wanted to be digitally because there's no way that I was going out there to do um, any boots on the ground. And um, even when you come out during the summer and even late springs and, you know, the elk are not going to be where they're going to be in September in those times. So it's not always a great time to e-scout. I mean, to boots on the ground scout anyway. Now you can look for old rubs. There's a lot of things you can do, but I, I'm of the opinion that I think you're better off doing a lot of work digitally. Now, if you got more time than sense, then, you know, sure. I think boots on the ground never can hurt. But the other problem I have guys is I, I was at a, at an event, um, couple of weeks ago and a guy told me he goes you've got the lewis and clark syndrome and i'm like you know what that's exactly what i have for you for the canadians i probably don't know who lewis clark is but <laughs> i mean they were you know western adventurers here and so they they always went new places and and that's kind of the way i pro joke hunting i rarely in my 30 years i've probably been back to the same spot only a couple of times I've been in new spots for all the hunts I do for 30 some years wow. because I just love to evaluate and 
break down and and go into new places. I I like the adventuring spirit. Now, that's also probably why I don't kill giant elk. I kill lots of elk, but the giant ones, maybe they're eluding me a little bit more because I don't get into an area and really learn it like you could do it. So I don't know. I'm 56 years old, guys. I I have a lot of places on my bucket list so um, that I want to go to. And I just love new places. I, that's just my thing for everything. Deer, elk. Now, bears, I'll go back to some same places a little bit more than anything else. But elk's my number one. So my wife and I and my kids, um, my 11-year-old, well, at the time, I have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old now. We moved out here in Missouri, and um, I kind of stepped back from my job back there and started doing treeland pursuit stuff just on the side. I didn't even know what I was going to do with it. Kind of ended up developing this e-scouting avenue over a couple of different mechanisms through YouTube and finally ended up doing a course. And now I'm working on a bear course, and now I'm doing speaking things. And I'm just finding out that guys that are hunting out West or even we're in Canada that are, that are elk hunters are just not using the digital resources that are available to them that, that they could be. And uh, they become, I, 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 I've talked to so many now, they become almost one dimensional is what I always say is like, they pick some platform of choice and that's kind of where they always go to. They always go to that and that's what they use. And if that platform or service offers a certain tool, then they'll use it. If it doesn't, then they don't seek it. And uh, I think there's, they're leaving a lot on the table personally with that. And uh, so we moved out here. I kind of retired. And now I hunt. last year I hunted elk for like 65 some days. Uh, I spent about 100 days a year in a tent. And we're getting ready to embark on probably the most aggressive bear hunting season that we've ever done. I have at least 40 days of bear hunting scheduled right now. So now I've got three spring and fall. No, that's just is... spring. Just oh, spring. Oh, I've got three tags right <laughs> now, getting ready to buy my fourth. So it's, it, we're getting aggressive with the bears. I mean, bear hunting is a number two for me, but it's a close two. So anyway, I'll answer some more questions if you want about me, but that's kind of, you know, I'm from Missouri originally. I now live in Missoula, Montana, and I moved out here to just, be able to do this on a full-time basis. Um, like I said, I've got more, I always say this, I've got more hunting seasons, unfortunately, behind me than I'd probably do in front of me. So, you know, it's a reality. And so I want to make the most of them. And so I'm after it now. And uh, so I've kind of teamed up some other dudes here and there and doing different hunts. And we're doing more filmed hunts than, we, than I've ever done before. That's new for me. I have pack llamas. I have almost 30 llamas now. And, uh, well, I will have close to 30 by the end of this year. And uh, I pack with my all my llamas. I have some real superstar llamas. And so there's no place we can't go that as long as I can, as long as I can walk my butt in there, <laughs> yeah. um, we can get it done. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty neat how you guys get to mingle all over different states and, and get to hunt. You don't need a hunter host or anything like that. Like it's a little different up here in Canada, but I mean, in British Columbia, we're, we're pretty lucky. We got, you know, you don't really need to leave British Columbia to hunt anything. So, and it's probably about, I think BC is about the size of Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Montana put together. Yeah. You guys got, I'm assuming you guys got, I, I, since I've never been there, I'm assuming the elk hunting there is, I mean, it looks, I mean, I've looked at a few places just on maps, but, and looks at some statistics of our, it looks pretty, pretty legit. So 
Um, yeah, we, we got good uh, good elk numbers. I mean, they get hammered with. Uh, we've had a lot in like the last couple of years. We've been hammered with forest fighters, um, a lot of wolves, stuff like that. So yeah, it, putting we, yeah, we're Pete's from the Kootenays there. Uh, they the wolves and and the forest fire kind of put a big big dent in the elk populations. But uh, hopefully, hopefully with some good management, uh, they come back. So uh, yeah, so I wolves, we're, are, I think we're are down they... about fifty percent actually from even ten oh, years geez. ago. Oh yeah. geez, so wolves. I'm assuming you guys try to control you have seasons for them i mean i'm just asking dumb questions i have no idea what's going on up there yeah so i'm so assuming when, you guys hunt them because i every time i turn around somebody's not is quitting stopping hunting some predator oh we, we face the same crap as as you boys do down there and yeah it's, it's yeah. always against predator stop predator hunting stop predator hunting but yeah like so the in the region i'm at the management unit i'm at you're allowed three wolves a year um so uh, I take full advantage of that. Obviously, yeah. this, this year I haven't killed a wolf, but uh, I didn't. I was after trying to get some cats this year, and I I did pretty good. So, but uh, yeah. So, uh, but I think the other ridge. What's yours, Pete? About three. It's about the same. Yeah, it's it's three here too, and it's open for like most of the year, except for I, I think it ends here pretty quick, just for springtime, and they're gonna have their pups and stuff. They they, they yeah. close it down, I think, basically for the spring and summer and then back on in September. But they are hard to hunt because like, we we can't also bait here. We can't bait for any predators. Yeah. So it makes it tough. Yeah. Well, it, we so in Montana, we can't use uh, we can use electronic calls for mm -hmm. wolves now, you know, in but no electronic calls for anything else. We can't use them for bears or anything, but I've tried. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty decent predator call. Like I've called in a lot of black bears. I'm one of my favorite. I just did this uh, camp this past weekend. And one of my favorite, I bet I've killed 50% of my bears I've called in. And so I really love that, that tactic, but these wolves, man, they are so smart. Oh yeah. They, they just don't play around with that stuff. At least here. Yeah, no, I, mean, they're, they're, I think wolves are wolves. Man, they'll come, they'll howl, they'll play their games, and then they won't commit to nothing. And yeah. at least for me. And so, yeah. Yeah, you got to get pretty lucky. I've, I've got a few and just gotten lucky, but uh, we've, we've had them out calling and you think they're coming in and all of a sudden they send one to circle around you and get, get your wind and then goes back and they're gone. But they're, they're definitely smart. But. Yeah, and down here in the Kootenays too, there's like a lot of our elk and for the most part, like the, the major herds and, and deer and everything, they come down to the lower wetlands and stuff to wet to uh, to winter. Um, so obviously the wolves and everything, they do follow. And anytime I go out in the wintertime, I'm just checking trail cameras, coyote hunting, whatever. I'm always tempted to, you know, go in and be like, I'm going to do some, some calling and hopefully, hopefully get some wolves or something. And at the same time, you get down there and it's like, oh, there's a herd of elk down there. Do I really want to call the wolves in? Um, you know, yeah. uh, if they don't know they're down there right now, I'm just ringing the dinner bell and I don't want them to go after the elk and the deer that I can see now. So it's kind of, for me, it's tough. I don't know. There's some areas we can definitely get into, into the back country where I know people have success, but for me, it's tough in this front country area here to, you know, if you just want to go for the afternoon or something like that, which is very doable. But it's a, yeah, I hate no bell. Hey, Mark, I think what we'll do is maybe why don't we get into your course here and then we just get sure. on to like what's in your course and then uh, and then we'll kind of just 
go over a couple things and and maybe we'll just talk about how how Canadians can use that. Well, I mean, they're going to get a good idea of it of it anyway, what they can take from because obviously uh, there's probably some things in your course that doesn't apply to up here in Canada or or is it all good? No, it, there's going to be some things and I, you know, I will do my best to try to pick out what um I mean, so give me an idea. So your what's your elevation range for the elk? Kind of like what's like what's your low to high elevation range for where you're at? You know what's you know what's your highest range? I guess is more of what I'm interested in. Yeah, um, for like me personally, I hunt in the Okanagan and kind of towards where the Kootenays. Um, so we're we're going from like you know 4,500 to 6,500 square okay. feet. Yeah. So, and then you get into the Rockies, obviously, and you get, uh, it gets into a little steeper stuff. Um, yeah. So, and then, I mean, obviously you get up on the coast and you get into some really gnarly shit, but even if you just go through what's in your course, I mean, it, I just signed up for your course. I'm going to go through a lot of it because there's certain things that, you know, I'm just dying to know about, you know, like, uh, layers, applying layers and stuff like that. And like building a hunt plan is kind of one thing I wanted to talk to you about. Cause that's one thing, you know, I'm kind of the guy that just look on a map for a bit. I always carry paper maps and then I'll just grab my bow or my rifle. I'm like, okay, well, we'll figure it out when we get there. And then you get there and you're like, oh man, I, I should have looked at this or should have grabbed, no, maybe I should have grabbed that map and stuff like that. So. Yeah, because you guys are really a little more limited on technology than than maybe we are. We get, maybe you don't have quite the tools. There's a couple. There's a couple of uh, platforms I think um, for Canadian. But I one of my just to get started, you know, one of my favorite platforms. Uh, I obviously I'm a big um, I'm a big fan of Go Hunt. Um, I just signed on board with them. I'm helping them. I'm hoping to help them in the future, kind of work on their platform, get it a little more of what I'd like to see <laughs> a little selfishly. Um, but my secondary kind of platform is Gaia GPS. And I don't know if you guys ever have messed with it or used it, but I just looked it up and they have 31 Canadian layers. Yeah. Um, yeah I actually was just, before we started this, because uh, I was listening to you and uh, you and Bo Martonic from Eats Me West, um, yeah, you guys were going yeah. over that. Um, so yeah, I was looking up today, and yeah, so I, I'm going to sign up for that. And but like, we have Google, um, and like we don't have Onyx up here, but we have iHunter, which is very similar to that. Right. Um, but so like typically when I'm going in the backcountry, I'll use like I'm huge on Google Earth. Uh, and then do I'll you have, use. Do you have enough cell service there for that? No, you have to load it you got to have you have to load it into your phone download it and then yeah. then you can get to it later but you know i'm big on paper maps and stuff and um yeah that's one thing we lack is because it doesn't take you very long to run out of cell service up here in, in bc so. well that's why i think you know you so the the i hunt does it allow you to download offline maps for yeah no yeah okay yeah, yeah so it probably has something the same i think once you dig into the course what's really great about um kind of like Gaia's they've got I've got a whole module there's an entire module de dedicated to Gaia and I think that you'll be limited on a few things um with the Canadian options but the United States has 22 layers and the Canadian folder has 30 30 layers so there's actually more layers in Canada than there is in um, even in the United States layer. Now that we have more layers that are in other folders, but like I'm looking at British Columbia, we got the British Columbia uh, conservation lands, the management zones, the outfitting areas, 
the BC limited entry zones, the BC uh, WMUs. Mm -hmm. You've got all the ATV trails, all the back road, the BRMB Canadian trails, whatever that is, the paddling trails, you know, just all these things. So there's quite a bit in Gaia. So, um, and then they've got your, uh, and then they've got other, oh, some of the other uh, as well. I guess these, yeah, let's see what Prince, yeah, Prince Edward Island's on there. Mm -hmm. um, so oh, the fire, they've got the historical fire layer on there for you guys, which is like for elk for me that's a really important one um they got topo maps because that's a question i've been getting a lot from i've got several canadian members and hey where can i get topo maps um for canada and i'm like okay well let me look into that a little bit more and so um they do have they do have a couple of topo map layers so anyway it's not a plug for gaia but i just i think it's a tool that i i love this tool yeah. it's complex i'll warn you it's it's far more complex than, in, than most of the hunting apps it's really a backcountry skiing type really more extreme backcountry um hiking mountaineering built for that but they do put in the um the hunting layers and obviously a lot of the layers that they put in um are is good for us um, as hunters that even though they weren't really designed for hunters so well, i haven't i haven't looked at it yet but are you able to use that offline as well like can you download yeah, stuff absolutely and they've got a fantastic their offline download capabilities is probably the best that i've ever used you know i have i struggle with some other apps that have some errors they only they limit like the resolution you can do or they only give you a couple options you can't define the area that you want to download very well it's just kind of a block you know by square by square by square so gaia yeah it gives you a lot of flexibility with the download and one of the things it does it has an integrity check so let's say you download an area and then you're going to go back to that area next year you can run the integrity check option and it will check to see if anything changed on any of the maps that you downloaded. Really? So that's, it's the only app I know does it. The rest of them, you just got to download new ones every year if you want to make sure you've got the newest. So really great. So really, some really great features. So um, we go over that kind of in the course as well. But as far as the tech goes, I would really believe that guys that, you know, again, I'm not going to speak entirely because I've never hunted elk in Canada, but I would believe that elk are elk in most cases. And um, most of the things that I do in the course are going to be absolutely applicable to Canada. Now, let's just start in the beginning. So the very first things right off the bat, the first eight or nine, 10 modules absolutely apply. It's, you know, realities of e-scouting, limitations, setting hunt parameters. I'm really big on defining the area before you, like in Google Earth, you guys have, you guys have a Google Earth equivalent, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got Google Earth. Yeah. 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 So um, with Google Earth, you can set um, a hunt parameter. You can use the radius tool and you can draw a five mile circle around the trailhead so that you now have kind of this it's not a limit it's almost a self-imposed guide so you know that you're not e-scouting areas that are outside of the range of your capabilities 
So a lot of guys just start looking and all of a sudden they're dropping these waypoints and then they're like, oh man, this is like 15 miles from the truck. You know that? So not that that's not, I mean, who cares really, but we got to be efficient with our time. And so I'm a real proponent of establishing a hunt parameter. And one of the best ways to do it is to whatever your, your distance limit is, based on the terrain that you're dealing with, like you were just saying over when the, if you're in the mountain goat country, maybe it's not five miles. So whatever the terrain limitations are coupled with the distance, I always draw a circle in Google earth. And that lets me quickly see where I can do my e-scouting work. Okay. So that's one example for hunt. That's the hunt parameters. And there's a module on that, how to set it up, how to export it, how to import it into the various applications. And, you know, like Kevin, like you talked, the I've got two, two different modules on hunt planning and hunt areas and breaking those down, how to kind of set it up, what goes into it. If you want to get into questions on that, absolutely, we will. The only one that's probably going to be a little more pick and choose is when we get into the tools of the trade. Like I have a whole module on Google Earth, which is going to apply. I have a whole module on Gaia GPS, which eh, you're going to have to kind of do the Canadian version. And then I have Onyx, obviously, and I will be having Go Hunt, but those probably won't apply um, anytime soon. So, um, you know, that's about it as far as the tools of the trade. And then we get into custom markup systems where teaching people how to set up their waypoints, like using different color coding sequences, different um, symbols for different the different features. Because I, I look at a lot of guys, they open up their their app or their whatever, and it's just all a bunch of pins and they're all the same color. <laughs> and so it doesn't really paint a picture for them. And so I think I try to get people to look at things a little bit differently. Uh, as far as that goes, do you guys have any questions on that kind of stuff before we, I mean, am I going the right way where you yeah, want me man. to go here? No, that's good. And it's funny because all you, all the things you're saying don't do is everything that I do when it comes to e-scouting. So yeah. it's good. It's going to be good. It's good. Hey, yeah, you know absolutely. what? I, I think it's, it's important. And then, you know, state method and research module is a whole nother module. Obviously it's not going to apply um, to a lot, but the process does. You know, I mean, the way you think through it, the way you want to look at statistics, I like to look at averages. I I have my own spreadsheet. So many of the statistical reports, they show you year by year by year, but nobody really takes the time to do it by average. So the areas that I hunt a lot, like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, those are my go-to states, Um, even Colorado to some degree. But those three states, for sure, I download all the stats manually, put them in my own database, and I have three and five-year weighted rolling averages. So I can start looking at averages because the way that it depends on how you guys, you know, collect stats on harvesting and percentages. And But in my, here, it's a lot of random. It's not a lot of mandatory. And so you don't really you're not getting hundred percent accurate stuff. So in the lack in the, in the missing with the lack of accuracy, the averaging kind of takes up the slack if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So I like doing that. And I talk about that a lot in that module, the basic needs of elk, they're not going to be much different, different times a year. Most people don't understand that elk, their stomachs don't allow them to eat a giant variety of uh, leafy plants and woody plants at the same time. They kind of have to switch. There's a point where they have to switch from grass 
to more woody plants and it has to, and it needs to be um, kind of a primary focus of their diet. They're not able to just digest everything all at the same time. So they kind of have to restart or retool, so to speak, their digestive system. So a lot of guys, they think that, you know, elk eat grass, 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 which they do. But during the hunting seasons, they're starting to make switches to the browse and the woody plants getting ready for wintertime. And uh, so as the grass dries up too, it depends on the terrain, depends on vegetation. But as one food source dries up, they make the switch. So understanding that I think is, is important as well. And then Kevin, like you said, I have a whole module on core hunt areas, you know, how you go about doing it. So hunt areas and hunt planning for me are completely different things. So the hunt plan for me is the overall master strategy that I'm going to employ on my 10-day elk hunt. If I'm going to go elk hunting for 10 days, my hunt plan includes everything that I'm going to need for those 10 days. A hunt area is an area that I could conduct my entire 10-day hunt within. So each of my hunt plans will have three to five hunt areas already worked out. I already work them out. I already East got them. I know everything about them. I know how long it's going to take me to drive and relocate to them. I know how long it's going to take me to pack into camp option number one. I know what time I need to leave the trailhead in order to get there before dark. I mean, you just don't realize it. if you take the time to start working some of this stuff out, it just makes you a such more productive hunter and product, you know, a productive hunter is a higher percentage harvest hunter. It's just that simple. There's so many things in elk hunting that we cannot control. And if you can start taking control of some of the things you can control, then the rest of it starts to really start to fall together. But I got so many guys that tell me, man, I went to my best spot and I got there and there, you know, just wasn't any good or too many people or the road washed out or whatever caused them. And they didn't really have a good backup plan. So they're going into town or they're trying to get some maps or trying to get some cell service, trying to figure out what to do next. Well, you got 10 days. I mean, and everybody's like, man, I don't know if I want to take the time to work out three or four. Hunt. It's not a waste of time. you got three or four hunt areas that if you don't, if you, let's say you really hit, hit it out of the park and your number one spot is you spend the entire 10 days. Well, next year, you've got two, three, four, five ready to go. So if you do it right and you take notes and you keep your journal good and you do the custom markups, like I said, then next year when you pull that thing up, it's going to make perfect sense to you. If it's just a bunch of red teardrops with no notes and no naming sequence and no cut, you're going to be like, okay, well, that I don't know why I dropped that point there. Um you, you, I mean, I know delete I'm probably it. speaking. <laughs> just delete That's what it. I do. What's that for? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I'm just going to delete that. I, I, must have, I must have been drinking when I dropped that one. <laughs> yeah. But there might have been a reason you dropped it for something, you know. Uh, so anyway, I don't know if I'm getting too far in the weeds on this. But no, man, it's good. No, not at all. So identifying the core hunting areas is absolutely applies. Um, one of my biggest ones, and this is... I should like triple star this in the course. I It's just in the middle and everybody kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The zones of pressure evaluation. If you spend any time in my course at all, that's the one you need to spend the most time on. It, as far as I'm concerned, elk do not tolerate pressure. They just don't. They don't like it. They don't like it from the wolves, as you, we talked about. And they certainly don't like it from the people. 
So you have to understand now, do elk live in high pressured areas? Absolutely. They do. I mean, we got Oregon and Washington, like you said, you mentioned is when you were doing size comparisons, there are roads everywhere. You can't get that far from the road at any point in a lot of areas. There's logging roads everywhere. There's open roads everywhere. There's ATV trails everywhere. So, but elk are thriving in some of these areas because they know how to work the system. So if you can start looking at it from an elk's point of view you're going to make giant strides. And what do you mean by that? Well, you need to know where the pressure is going to come from and what is the zones around that pressure. So I'm going to real quickly just run through this. Just, you know, this is in the course, this is all in the course, but I mark all trailheads, dead ends, campgrounds, any takeoff points, any point that I feel people can park at and take off from dead end roads are like hunter magnets trailheads that are named are like hunter magnets um you know anything that campgrounds are hunter magnets any recreational feature okay anything like that i i put a radius around that i usually do it on a paper map so kevin you were talking about this so if you have access to any kind of paper maps i think it works better on the paper than even digital it can be done digital but it's very hard to do digital so you drop a whatever radius around. I have llamas. So I drop a two to three mile radius around every freaking access point. If you're backpacking, maybe it's a mile and a half, maybe it's two, whatever it is. And then I try to put a one mile if I can. Sometimes it's a half a mile, whatever the area will accommodate, buffer around every road that is open to motor vehicles. So how do we know what roads are open to motor vehicles? Well, I'm sure you guys have all kinds of resources for travel management plans. Mm-hmm. You got to get them, the original source, and you got to trace them on your map of choice if they're not on there. So I trace every open road on my map in red, every open road. And I put a one mile border or buffer using, I use a elementary like school compass. I set it to the you know, just a pencil compass, yeah, yeah, except yeah. I put a Sharpie in it and I tape it in there with duct tape and it's fine. <laughs> I still do it to this day. And, um, I go to the map legend and I see what a mile is. Let's say a mile is an inch, whatever. I set the compass to an inch. I trace both sides of the road. So what we end up with guys is a one mile buffer. Hey guys, don't get caught up in the buffer. Okay. Whatever, whatever works for you. Don't get caught up in the distances. Just get caught up in the practice. Okay. Yeah. So a buffer around the roads and a radius around all trends guys where what's left is gold. So now we're going to take what's left and we're going to that does that mean we're going to go to a spot that's left no it does not mean that then we're going to start looking for the elk finding finding features which kind of comes up next in the course the 10 things or 12 things that i look for that elk like and they zone in on as far as i you know as far as i'm concerned and i look for those features and if i start seeing those features in bulk like multiples of them in those areas that are not in those zones, then I'm there. On, it's on my hit list. Is that starting to make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. So when you look at a map guys and you try to just do it visually, you, you think you got it. You, you know, you, you Canadians are probably just like the Americans. They, they think they got it, but they don't yeah. got it. They don't got it. 
You can't in your mind do what I just said. You just cannot. You can get maybe close in a few instances, but every time that I've taken the time to mark up a map like this, I have been shocked with what's left. I'm like, oh, I, didn't, I totally did not realize this up here kind of is yeah. outside that zone. So, and it works. This process works in heavily roaded areas, actually even better because there's less area to look at. When you're looking at a wilderness area that's got like one freaking trailhead, the pressure is pretty freaking obvious, yeah. right? So, you know, depends on the pressure in the area. I mean, in Montana, we've got a lot of areas, with a lot of roads, but we've got a lot of wilderness that's pretty freaking desolate and um, not desolate. But, you know, I'm finding guys, we were talking about wolves earlier, but I run into a lot more wolves in the wilderness than I do close to a private land. Because those yeah. private land dudes, they put the hurt on them wolves. Mm -hmm. You know, they keep them, and the elk are starting to figure, unfortunately, the elk are figuring that out down here. And so they're seeking ref. They'd rather, they'd rather put up with us as hunters than deal with the wolves 24-7, yeah. yeah. 12 months a year in the backcountry. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're finding here. So just getting far from the road isn't always a good thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's 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 kind of the the zones of pressure concept and i that applies i don't care where you're hunting elk pressure is pressure yeah for sure and knowing where that's at and how it works um it, it is important so then the course breaks into like 12 modules that are 10 to 12 modules that are really dedicated to the concepts of finding elk. When we talk about finding elk, you know, you hear me say this all the time. You've listened to a few podcasts, Kevin. You, I say odds multiplier so much people are like sick of it, right? So, but I'm just going to keep hammering until people get it. Because yeah. I just taught something this weekend and I asked, said, what are we trying to do when we're finding all these features that are all sitting there? I'm like, so you're telling me that 50% of you have taken my course and you don't know what we're trying to do. So you obviously weren't paying attention. <laughs> so I feel like I got to keep hammering people on this, but you can't become one dimensional. So you remember how we were talking about being one dimensional with your e-scouting tools? Yep. Well, you can become one dimensional with how you look for elk too. So many guys are like, oh, I go to the North slopes. The North slopes are where the elk are. Really? You've never seen an elk on an east slope or a west slope <laughs> or a south slope um, and in different kinds of environment, if it's wet or if it's whatever. Now, do I tend to think elk congregate more on north slopes than any other slope? Absolutely. Am I going to go to a place just because there's a north slope in this basin? No, um, I'm not. It's got to have other things. So what I'm looking is for is the 12 things or the 10 things I'm going to mention. There's, there's actually about 12, but two of them kind of come and go depending on the area, like water. I don't know if you guys have much area. You probably have quite a bit of water, I'm guessing. So water is not an issue for you guys. It's not an issue in Montana either for most areas. Now, Eastern Montana, it is an issue, but for most of where I hunt, water, elk just find water. That's not even a if you start hunting water, you're you're just wasting your time, right? So there's a couple of these features that kind of come and go. Depending if you're going to Arizona, then you better freak air, you better pay attention to the water. Um, so, but what I'm looking for is odds multiplication. And when I say that, what I mean by that is we want to stack these odds in our favor, meaning we want to find these areas 
that are outside of these zones of pressure that we just talked about that offer or feature multiples of what I'm getting ready to say, not just one. So like the slope, the North slope, you know, I always use that because that's the number one answer I hear from guys. Where do elk live? Oh, they live on the North slope because it is true that it is a very good odd multiplier, but by itself, it's not, it's not something I would take to the bank exclusively. So first thing I do is I, I evaluate all access points and trails, any trail that is on the U.S. topo map that I'm going to use or runs through my area, I'm doing this technique on along with all the access points. Anything that I, you know, we talked about that we circled with the radiuses, campgrounds, I'm looking at each one of those features using Google Earth. It's the only tool you can use because it's the only tool that has that good a resolution, right? So you zoom in and at the highest resolution and you look at the trailhead. I mean, does it look like the Walmart parking lot? I don't know if you guys, do you guys even have Walmart in Canada? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, it's so funny. I'm so like, I'm so out of my element here. You'll have to explain. Oh, me. dude, we're, we're going to figure out a way to get you up here and you'll see what it's all about. No, oh, I yeah. do. You ain't going to ask me twice. I'm telling yeah. you that. Um, <laughs> we'll do some training, horse training here in Montana and British Columbia. How about that? Yeah. Just just don't um, take them up to the uh, the North Coast there, Kevin. We'll, <laughs> we'll keep them down in the, the Kootenays or in your area. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I'll have to break you in up there. <laughs> hey, I'm 56 years old, guys. Don't try to break me here. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I'm sure Canada's a beautiful place to die, but I don't know if, if we just want to push things a little bit. So, um, but anyway, you, you would just be surprised when you zoom in at the highest resolution and you study a trailhead or you study a dead end or you study a campground, you'll be like, I can't even see the camping spots. There's like only a few dispersed. Oh, that's cool. Uh, or you zoom in and there's like 97 parking spots and it's concrete. Or you zoom in as a dead end road. You can't even see where anybody's ever parked before. Now, does that mean anything by itself? No, but it gives you, it paints a picture that goes along with that zones of pressure analysis. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I really spend a lot of time. So the next thing, same thing with trails. I zoom in on these trails and where they cross a meadow or where they cross an opening. And I want to see, can I see the trail? Does it got grass in it? Is it brown? What time of year, if you're using Google Earth, what's the date? What's the image of the photo? What's the date? Is, you know, how much pressure is that trail being? Does it look like a, is it a two track? Is it a single track? If it's a trail, is there one single ribbon? Or is there maybe two or three ribbons? So when you're looking at a trail, I'm, I'm not going to get too far in the weeds here, but if you're looking, I'm just trying to kind of give a little background for why you'd want to do this. So if you see a trail that's on the map and it's going through a meadow and you pull it up and there's like two or three trails beside each other, what that's telling you most of the time it's either outfit or use because guys, they like to ride beside each other and chat, or it could be livestock uh, because, it, you know, if it's a single trail, nothing but single all the way, there's a good chance that that's foot only traffic. 
Now that it might, that doesn't mean there's not going to be horses. That doesn't mean that. But when horses get into a meadow, a lot of times those outfitters, like they become muddy, the trails become muddy and they become rutted out. Like they become a little deeper than the, so they'll start walking beside it. Well, that's what creates those multiple looking trails in Google earth. So that's a great indication for what I'm looking at in that area. So what did that, what would that mean for me? Well, I, you know, it doesn't mean anything by itself, but it, it will all add up. So I might, if I saw this trail that was just really, really, really used and it looked like it was to the dirt and it was all year long, there was just no grass in it at all. Then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to look for some areas that are slightly off this trail because those elk are probably going to know this trail is getting some use. They're going to be nearby. Doesn't mean you got to be two miles away, but I might be looking a quarter, half mile for a lot of my places with a trail like that. I'm just giving you an example. So meadows, you know, I have 10 meadow rules. I go, we're not going to go through all those today, but I, do, I have 10 rules that I live by with meadows. Meadows are hunter magnets, but they're also important for elk. So I evaluate them very, very, very specifically. And I'm looking for very key things with those meadows. Drainages, um, creeks and drainages are a big one for me. I'm looking for canyons and creeks and basins and drainages that are more northerly facing. I'll be honest with you, I do like north facing features. Um, I also like to find drainages that do not have an established trail in the bottom. You know, a lot of the drainages do. Mm -hmm. I look for those side drainages. I look for those ones that don't, where you have to go off trail. Maybe, you know, what those are money. Uh, you can start isolating and identifying those. Um, and I have a whole module. There's an hour module just on that. Fires. You guys, you know, you mentioned you guys have a fair number of fires there. I'm, I'm a big fan of fires. And, you know, you hear people all the time. They say, yeah, you should go hunt elk in a fire. Elk love fires. Well, they do. Of course they do. 70% um, a fire, a typical fire will see a 70% increase in use by elk. Wow. It's just over and over and over again. Every study I've ever looked at. So fires are really, really a nice resource for elk. Now, but... They have to be the right kind of fire. They have to be aged right. They have to be worked right. Do they have low drainages? Is it on steep slopes? Really steep slope fires do not regenerate as quick as less steep terrain fires. They hold moisture better. Are there green drainages in this fire? What's the edges of the fire look like? Do they offer a mosaic pattern? Are they just huge expanse fires? Are there island timber patches? Where does the darkest, what side of the fire features the darkest timber? That's where I want to start focusing my effort. So I break down fires pretty freaking extensively. So the next one, do you guys have beetle kill? I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. 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 So beetle kills is my number one elk killing area for me personally, wow. because most guys are absolutely freaking afraid of beetle kills and, and they just don't go there. But the elk do because they love the beetle kill. The beetle kills are the most prime elk habitat that probably you can find. And main reason is because now let me back up. Remember what I said about fires? It has to be the right beetle kill. It can't be it can't be too early and it certainly can't be too late. So beetle kills have to be aged. There's only one way to age them. 
and that's Google Earth. Google Earth Pro with the historical imagery, the timeline slider. You have to be able to click back and look at the dates of the image until you can identify the start of that beetle kill in your area. So if that beetle kill started in 2009, what do you think that timber is going to look like in 2021? Yeah, it's, it's going to, going to I'd be say it's probably dead and starting to blow down. Yeah. It's going to be matchsticks probably, yeah. right? So it's going to be close, 2009, 2010. So we're talking about 12 years, right? Mm -hmm. 12 years is about the time. Now, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily be afraid of a 12-year beetle kill, but I'd certainly be afraid of a 15-year beetle kill. Um, and it, it, it depends on the wind, it depends on the area, but the problem like with Google earth and these other imageries guys, is that you're at the mercy of the most recent image they got. Now I've been seeing Google earth has been posting a lot of 2021 and 2020 and 2019 imagery, which is outstanding. That gives you a better look at what's going on on the ground. I can't tell you how many times I told you I'm a big beetle kill guy. And I've been fooled a few times, but in my early career, uh, when I figured out that elk love beetle kills, I didn't really understand them like I do now. I just find one. I'd identify it through aerial photo, which we'll talk about that in a second. But and I just march in there. Well, half the time I'd get there to be mad. It would be just terrible. It would be just piles and piles of freaking timber. Well, the elk will use them when it's piled up like that, but they really will only use them like that when there's extreme pressure on them. Like when they're trying to re like rifle season mm -hmm. or, you know, I find that a really nasty beetle kill is a really great place to go. If there's high rifle pressure in an area, for example, but for archery, um season you know predominantly is what the course is primarily for i look for those i really like that five year to 10 year beetle kill where the timber is still 90 percent standing where all the limbs have died and kind of a lot of them are falling off all the needles have certainly turned brown and fallen so that light is hitting the ground i've got pictures where i'm standing in a beetle kill it's waist deep grass it's just, it's the perfect mix of shade and sun in the, in most of these Western and even for you guys that it just, it just fosters out unbelievable growth. If it's in the right area, if it's a beetle kill on super steep terrain that is not going to grow back with any moisture, of course, you know, you got to look at it kind of like fires, but beetle kills, I spent a lot of time on how to break them down, how to evaluate them, how to hunt them, how to approach them. Um, bent slopes, we talked about north, but benches, when I'm looking at a north slope, I'm really looking for bench areas on that north slope. And I'm not, on, I'm not just looking for one bench. I'm looking for a bench that is more than halfway up. That's below three quarters of the way from the top of a ridge. So I like those benches between halfway up and three quarters of the way up. So if you learn how to read topography map, you know what I'm talking about with the bench, but we go through all that in the course as well. So, and then one of the last ones is saddles, funnels, and travel quarters. I really like pinch points. I like identifying them. I like, especially in logging areas, wide open burns, where the timber has been on the ground, um, even timber patch to timber patch. Um, so, you know, I like, I like, um, I like looking for those and they get into my plan. I don't necessarily know that I'm going to hang out there all the time, but I know that those are really 
going to concentrate elk. And when I find those saddles, funnels, and travel cores next to some of the other things that I've been saying, I get really excited. So, and then I also look at sparse timber. I have a whole part about how to evaluate timber sparseness and glassing capability into the timber. So what I'm looking for on the, all the things I just mentioned is I'm looking for multiples of those. Does that make it in an area? Not just one of yep. them. Now, if I find a spot that has all of them, I'm like, oh, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's practically that elk tag is filling itself, right? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you know, real quick, the last, the next one is glassing. I have an entire module dedicated to glassing and evaluating oh, glassing. Yeah. And this stuff is like, it's not just go to the high spot and that, you know, figure it out and glass from it. Guys, I go how to identify the spots, how to ground test them, and how to use the tools that are available to figure out exactly what you can see from that spot. There's a lot of resources available there. So we go through all those as well. And then late season, um, I go through snow level. If you guys deal with snow, you need, like we just mentioned earlier, we were talking about bear hunting. That's really big with spring bear hunting, yeah. at least for us. And we got to know where that snow is. And we need to work around that. So not only do we need to know where it is in order to drive to our hunting spot, but we need to know where it's at because we know that's going to determine where the bears are at as well. Yeah. So I have a whole module on that. And then I have a webinars and resources tab in there that has a bunch of webinars and other supplemental modules that I've added on like addendums and, you know, different things like that. So it's about 30 hours of, you know, you're Kevin, you'll be, uh, you'll be tired of my voice by the time you get through with that baby. But, um, well, I'm hoping it, I'm know, picking it, it up too. So, well, and it's not, it is not guys, this is not, here's what, here's my thing. I'm just going to be honest with you. I am about education first, entertainment second. So my course, this is like going to school. Okay. Yeah. This is the detail. This is everything you freaking could possibly think of about every one of these features and examples and review using different tools, using Google. Now, most of the examples I do using Google Earth, which will apply for you guys. Um, and then I use Guy a lot. I'm going to be using some Go Hunt examples as well, but I try to use all the different tools and the different examples. But I, so most of these modules have an entire theory segment. And then they have an example segment where I go through working examples. When I, when I talk about North Slopes, I show you what I mean by North Slopes. When I find spoon basins, we talk about what that is, how they look on a benches. What's a good bench? What's a bad bench? What's a staircase bench? What's a horizontal bench? Um, you know, chain benches that we break it all down with examples. We don't just tell you what it is. I try to show you what it is. So anyway, it, it's probably uh, more than you probably need. <laughs> but I don't think there's such a thing when it comes to any tools, like the more tools you have in your chest, just, it just ups your, your percentages when you go out. Well, I think what you'll see is Kevin, I'm interested to get your feedback on this too, when you do it, but um, you think, you know, some things like when, even when I was preparing this guys, I'll be on, I'm going to be totally honest with you here. When I was working on this course, I started realizing that I was dropping a few things that I was like, man, I'm not doing that anymore. I got to get back to that. You know, I kind of regrounded myself even a little bit. I mean, this is the way I approach it. And I found weak links in my process when I was thinking about it. the more I thought about it. And when I started organizing this course, I'm like, 
you know, I'm not doing hunt parameters like I should, you know, because I should be doing those again because I'm, I am constantly wasting way too much time looking at places that I'm not going to go. Um, it's just like, oh, look at this drainage way up here. This looks good. I'm going to, and then all of a sudden you're an hour into kind of looking around and flying around and air, 3D and, and you're like, dude, I'm not going there. I'm like, stop looking at it. <laughs> and um, so even the hunt parameters, I mean, there's a few things that I kind of regrounded myself on um, as well. Yeah, but, no, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. And, you know, the thing is about the U.S. and Canada, I mean, like, up here in BC, it's probably very, very similar. I mean, obviously the North coast is, is a lot different, but to like Northern Idaho, I'd say. So you think of that, uh, topography just and that. yeah, just yeah. thick, uh, down in the, you know, the desert areas, like I say desert here, but not really desert compared to you guys down there, but you get a few more openings and stuff like that. But, uh, a lot of, a lot of clear cuts and just, you know, thick shit. So but uh well so like on the thick stuff for example guys i'm telling if you study it now most people will use an app now you guys are pretty probably google earth yeah strong there see we're not so what's happened in the united states is on x go hunt base map all these tools have come out right well people have drifted away from google earth and they're just using these hunt apps well these hot apps do not have the resolution of Google Earth, nowhere near it. And they don't have the historical imagery and you don't know the dates of the imagery. So there's just so many things you don't know. Um, and most people don't realize this. I'm going to throw this out there. So most people, and including myself up until about 10 years ago, I thought Google Earth just had their own freaking satellites. They just flew around up there and took some pictures and put them up, made them available, right? It's funny how many people I run into think that as well. That's what I thought. Well, (laughs) they don't. (laughs) They don't. They don't. So there's all of these guys. There's, there's I don't want to say tons, but there are multiple, multiple companies that take aerial photos from satellites and from aircraft and they make these package sets available and it's like going to walmart for these companies that want to use them so i did a comparison i looked at a trailhead this one particular trailhead in whatever i think it was montana yeah it was montana and i pulled it up on google earth on gaia on go hunt on base map and on on x only two of the apps had the same image no kidding yeah really so here's the deal so if you look at one tool let's say you only use gaia you guys don't have lots of no you only use ihunt you guys got ihunt and you pull up ihunt and the layer you're looking at the aerial photo and it's um snow covered yeah does that happen sometimes oh yeah yeah okay and then you go on google earth and it'll be no snow yeah that's right so you're already doing it but so because you're used to go but a lot of people like i know guys like oh man that 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 area photos i'm not interested in that spot i can't really tell what's going on and they don't hunt that area because they think that the aerial imagery is snow but they don't bother to look at the other resources right um, and so, you know, like Gaia itself has nine different aerial photo layers, um, just itself. So if you guys had Gaia, iHunt, 
and Google Earth, you would have a pretty winning e-scouting arsenal. Yeah. Um, so I'll look at one and I'll jump over in the other and see if I can see something better, see mm -hmm. if I can see the trail better. But usually, I'll be honest with you, I usually end up with Google Earth because they just seem to have the best resolution. They have hands down the best 3D tilt, yeah. the best ever. I mean, they're just the best. So, you know, I spend a lot of time in the course talking about how to drop a bunch of points and do all your data in Google Earth and then how to move that data out of Google Earth into your hunt app of, oh, of yeah. choice. Now, maybe I'll have to do iHunt. Maybe I'll have to email them and say, hey, yeah, you guys well, I can I can you hook you up with Mark. Yeah. You need to give me a copy of that thing. Let me break it down and see um, what I can do for the Canada guys in this. Yeah, well, awesome I think the import stuff on there because it's pretty good as it is. But yeah, I've had several guys tell awesome. me it's pretty good. So yeah, I think that um, I'd love to do a, do an evaluation of it. Yeah, for sure. So There's gonna um, be a lot of guys up here that are thirsty for shit like this. So I think. Uh, Canada, we're obviously a little bit behind you guys there, but uh, everybody's starting to notice a lot more of what you guys are doing as, you know, as hunting started to pick up popularity here in the last year or so. I think you'll see a lot more mugs up here getting, uh, trying to get a piece of, uh, of your knowledge. Well, I, it. you know, so I don't know. What's the situation for you guys coming here to hunt? Do you guys just apply as a non-resident like anybody else? Yeah, I think so for like Montana and stuff. Yeah, go and down there. Yeah, you're just a, you're just considered a non-resident. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm so green in this part. In this part of it. Yeah, for uh, sure. So, you know, it's funny. I I did a present. I did a summit, an elk hunting summit. I think two years ago, and I ran into a guide out of Alberta. He oh, came yeah. down. He came down for the course. And we've always talked about kind of doing some things. We haven't just haven't hooked up and done anything yet, yeah. but, um, but yeah, he came down and went to the course and everything. So not my course, but just this summit, I was just part of the program, but yeah. yeah. So that's, that's kind of the deal. And I'm currently working on a bear um, course as well. Now yeah. the bear, the bear course is going to probably be radically different for you guys. Um, but you know, I don't know. Do you guys, I mean, what's you guys, what, you, what is your tactics on bears there? What's kind of your, what's the go-to spot well, and stalk? Spot and stalk for, yeah. for yeah, calling. Here. Yeah. Spot calling, and stalk. Spot and stalk. Depending on the year. Like I typically don't get too excited about bear hunting till that snow line starts to uh, start to move up. Yeah. Usually about mid-May I'll start going. And then as the, as it starts to warm up, I'll look for water sources and stuff, get in there and call. Yeah, get along creek creek beds and stuff like that. Have a lot of good success. Okay, all right. I'm watching well, the, a big one for for me. I just kind of got into bear hunting last year for the most part, but then it got to be forty degrees Celsius and it was drying a popcorn fart. So it's kind of hard to hunt in that and get your bear out. So there's actually probably the best two weeks out of the year or out of the spring season. I didn't hunt because. I didn't think I'd be able to actually get the meat out without it spoiling. So I just had to kind of write off the season. But uh, when the dandelions pop here, man, those things just, they gravitate to them yeah. so much. Oh, they do. So they're, we're oh, kind of yeah. like that with glacier lilies. Oh, yeah. So kind of the same yellow. <laughs> yeah, I'm if, assuming, you, if yeah. you can find, if you can find the dandelion patches, you'll find bears no matter oh, what. Yeah, yeah. It's really? That's yeah. interesting. So very similar even. I thought it would be different. So, yeah. 
Well, you know, I don't know what kind of snow. Well, I know there's, so there's several resources for live aerial photos. And so the thing about live, well, live aerial photos, they're not really live. They're like within 10 days, you know, 10 or 15 days. And what's great about those resources is you can see the snow. Now, they don't allow the resolution. The resolution is terrible. So you could never use it for um, e-scouting purposes. Like you couldn't identify anything. But what you can do is you can see where the snow line is. And a lot of these tools allow you to draw routes. You can literally trace the snow line, export that line, bring it into Google Earth or whatever I hunt and you can see right where the snow line is and you can start working off that snow line. So a great tool, great tool for, for elk and, and for late season elk and bears. I spent a lot of time in the course and I spent, well, I've got a bear Remember, I mentioned, I've got a webinar next week Mm -hmm. on bear. And that's really the focus is elevation. What elevation you need to focus on, how to figure out what elevation that is and how to evaluate this current snow situation without without boots on the ground so um and i most people have no clue what that is they just kind of like like you guys said they look at the date they look at the temperature they're like i think i could probably make it up there about now and or they might <laughs> yeah. drive up they might drive up kind of get their spotting scope out and say well it looks like we can that looks about right um but there are other tools, I think, that could really help you. Um, you know, I just, I like, guys, I love hunting. I don't mm-hmm. like, I don't like planning hunts and organizing e-scouting too much while I'm on the hunts. Now, I love doing this work, but I love doing it before I hunt. So when I hit the freaking, I got my printed out hunt plan, which I still print to this day. And I can't tell you how many times I've been laying in my tent I haven't seen an elk in three or four days. You're like, what the heck is going on? I had all this worked out. It's just not working out. I'm laying in my tent. I pull that piece of paper out or in my case, like 10 pieces of paper. And I'm just reading through it. And I'm like, oh man, I've made some notes about this spot. It's about a mile. I forgot about that spot. I'm going to go over there tomorrow. And I've killed an elk so many times like that. Like, because, you know, when you get on the hunt, you start, Especially if you only hunt, you know, as much as I hunt, I kind of get myself in a groove, so to speak. But there's a there's a curse that comes with what I, I also wear myself down to the point where I start having trouble with like thinking through mm-hmm. things clearly. Oh yeah. So when you're on ten days, you know, and you're working so hard, you're dehydrated, you're low on fuel, you're you got the stress of your numbers of days you have left, and your wife's texting you about something you didn't do before you went, uh, whatever the case is going on. The last thing you need to worry about is your hunt plan. Remember what I said before, if there's anything you can do to take the pressure off the better. And I think writing out this hunt plan, even though you might only look at it a couple of times, the sheer act of writing it out. How many people, when they do a speech, they, they do it on their computer they write it out by hand. They read it. They, they, that's how they learn it. That's how they, ed, they really almost like, re, you know, just commit it to memory. Yeah. Thanks then. Yeah. yeah. And so the act of writing out your hunt plan, you do not realize, I call it historical knowledge. 
you don't realize how much historical knowledge you're just banking. When, when you get there, you're going to feel like, you know, like you've been there before. You're going to feel like I, I know everything about this place. I know the name of every drainage. I know, yeah. I know everything. And uh, it just is, it is so valuable. I, I just can't stress it enough. Yeah. That's one thing I gotta, I gotta sharpen up is, uh, and I'm, I'm actually really, really, uh, pumped to uh, take that course is just to go over that part that aspect i mean the whole thing obviously but uh, that hunt plan is, is yeah I've, I've talked about it for so many times like yeah this year i'm gonna you know i'm gonna take the time and i'm gonna you know come up with a you know a journal or, or something like that but uh yeah i mean and i hunt lots too i hunt probably 75 to 100 days of the year too and it, yeah i just yeah that's definitely one thing i can use oh, so you 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 know, you're in a great position, you're doing the same thing. So you almost have to be more organized than most because you're just in it all the time. Yeah. And there's not a lot of time. I mean, you obviously can dedicate time to taking a break and kind of figure out what you're going to do next. And you've got ex enough experience, obviously, but I have just learned that I need to just concentrate on the killing part. Not the, not this, not this kind of work mm -hmm. because no matter how much planning you do, you know what they always say about the military, the, the best laid plan is never the one you use or whatever they say. So no matter how much planning you do, you're always going to have to ad lib in the field. You're always going to have to, yeah. but the more planning you do, the more the ad lib, the easier the ad lib is. Right. If you know your area front and back, you've studied it. And if you've got to make a move to number two, you, like I mentioned earlier, you know how, Okay, if we get to the trailhead by three and we drive over there by six, we can be packed in by nine because I've got all the times worked out ahead of time. Yeah, see, and that's awesome because, I mean, I've done it lots where you, you're getting into a group of elk and you blow a stock and you spook some elk, right? And yeah. so obviously, like, I don't know, I'm, if I spook elk, I'm not going after me. I'm not going out trying to get after that same elk. I'm looking for a new spot. And then that's one thing I struggle with is like, ah, oh, fuck, where am I going next? And then you, you waste a lot of time trying to get, go through your maps or your phone be like, okay, well, um, you know, if, yeah, if I had a hunt plan, it'd be a lot easier for sure. That's what I mean. I need to I definitely need to sharpen that tool. For sure. Well, and 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 guys are they get caught up in the five areas or the four areas and different things that I say. And I'm like, guys, I know it's a lot of work year one, but it's all if you're hunting similar areas and you're kind of working through things, you know, for me, it is a lot of work because like I said, the way my style of hunting, I just go to new places all the time. And but that's not everybody. And I don't think most people do that. But the more time you spend, these things are not going to waste. And so I was going to mention about the hunt plan. I don't really say this much in the course. I probably should. It, it's kind of implied, but I should. And maybe I do. Uh, I don't remember. But for you, like Kevin, what is it going to be important for you is every time you get a chance to sit down and do a little work, you got to make sure you're writing it down right then. Don't yeah. worry. I don't worry about the organization of anything until a few weeks before I go. I just note this, note that. I might do a little organization here. I don't know what days I'm going to do anything. I don't know what. I might start on that a little here and there. But the, but the most important thing is, is when you drop a pen or you identify something that you are interested in, that you name it appropriately, you icon it or color, code, whatever your system is, and that you use the notes feature in the icon and that you use 
you document something in your plan about those points. And so when you start putting it together, it just makes it easy. Because if you don't have anything written down and you just got a bunch of points on your screen and in this different area, and then you go in and try to decipher it, you've kind of lost some of that, some of that (laughs) spur of the moment stuff that's important. Like why this looked interesting, better to you than another spot. And uh, because, you know, when you, (laughs) you stare at a topo maps all day, man, you miss so many things or you overlook or you you think something is important and then you come back to it and you just, then you don't see it or you don't catch it. Or so I've found that the more notes I make um, and you'll also find that on these different hunt areas, the more notes you have in each one of those hunt areas starts kind of showing you, man, I really went to town on this one. Maybe I need to focus on, this is my, you know, maybe this one needs more of my attention yeah. than the other four. So I, one thing else I mentioned a lot in the course is I try not to get tunnel vision. And what I mean is I try not, it's hard. I, and it's real hard. I try not to predetermine my number one spot. Oh, because if, if you get too invested in a spot, I feel like you can start slacking in the other ones. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. this is it. This is the oh, holy yeah. grail. And totally then all of, a sudden, you, yeah. all of a sudden, you're not really spending the time you needed to spend yeah. fleshing out the other two or three spots, right? Yeah. I Hunter, I'll bring that one up, especially if we can combine it with, with all the stuff that's in your course is with iHunter, they do have designated icons. So if you see a rub, they have a rub icon. If And this is in the field stuff. So this would just be a combination of once we found our area that interests us. Not only that, can we select the certain icons so we're looking at it, but with the iHunter, we can actually take a picture with that icon. So when we go back home, you know, let's say we go for a weekend or something, we're exploring these, these places we've e-scouted. We can go back on and be like, oh, okay. Well, I kind of forget what that that scrape was like. It looked interesting. You go on there and it's like, oh, now I remember why. It wasn't a scrape. It was 20 scrapes that we found in this area here. And then over time, I've got, I think I've had it for about three years now. And I can see all of them. They're all dated. And I can start putting uh, uh, an idea together, all these scrapes here or whatever I'm finding. And then throughout the years, it's like, Oh, they're actually coming through here. And you know, some infield time kind of helps out. It's like, now is this a transition area? Is, is this a bedding area? And then if it is a transition area, then I'd be going right back to the e-scouting and stuff. Be like, okay, where are these guys going to? You're starting, you're seeing trends. Yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't see those trends if you didn't do that kind of identification. That's right. You know, you wouldn't. So can you do colors in addition to the icons or just icons? Uh, I think it's just icons, but don't quote me on that. Yeah, I I just know that I can designate certain things and you can see them pretty clearly. Like when you're on there, you can see even like they've got different ones for like elk, deer, uh, bear. Yeah, great. Name it. It's on there. Um, But I don't know about the color. I don't. Kevin, do you know on that? Man, I, I didn't even know they had that icon thing on there. Oh, really? Well, it looks yeah. like I got to give you some lessons on there. I, I love that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah so what, I'm, it, I'm a rookie here. So one of the things I do with that is, now I don't know if you're going to be able to do it with your setup, like um, with Gaia, you can. Um, 
they have a bunch of icons as well, like 200 some different icons. Now they're not real. Gaia is not really a hunting app. Remember that, Mm -hmm. but they do have quite a few hunting, you know, symbols on there, but it really doesn't matter. You just got to create a legend that works for you. Like you, you use a certain, like all those things I went through, I try to use the same icon for benches. I use the same icon for saddles. I use the same icon for, you know, meadows that I'm interested in. And then I might mark rubs and those kind of things with the icons that are in the set as well. But what I try to do is I try to use a separate color for anything that I put in the field, any spot that I mark while I'm on the hunt, which I mark a lot because I want to see trends. Like you said, um, I don't know why I want to see them because I'm probably never coming back, but I always do. You can At send least, them to us. It's, it's for when I, it's while I'm on the hunt. But it's so amazing how much difference it makes when you can look at your screen and see all the things that you did in advance versus all the things you did while you're on the hunt. If you can come up with a system that allows you to do that, it really opens your eyes on some things because you'll start saying, I marked all these points and they're kind of matching up with, you know, it's kind of almost verifying your e-scouting in a certain degree. So in future years, you know what's working, what's not. But it, it really comes down, I think, we're, we're you know, what we're saying here is you've got to really think through your organizational tactics when it yeah. comes to e-scouting. You can't just drop a bunch of freaking default waypoints like Kevin, I guess, does. <laughs> <laughs> and then delete them. And then delete them. That's what I do. Man. Oh, man, these things are these things are cluttered up my screen. I'm yeah. going to delete these. I don't know what they so, are. That's my problem. You'll draw, I'll do something. I'll be like, oh, what the fuck was that for? And I guess <laughs> I just delete them. Well, it's funny you brought up the, an interesting thing. So in Google Earth, so in Google Earth, in the very bottom tab, I, I would guess they have this in Canada. It's called primary, yep. da- primary database. You can turn on a bunch of different things down there. But I, this is so valuable. When you turn on the photos option, it shows a little icon, any place, anybody that's taken and posted, you know, a public photo. If you're in an area that has a million of those freaking photos, you might want to think, okay, this place get, is busy. Yeah. <laughs> right. So one, it can give you an indication of now this is, a, it isn't a guarantee, but it can give you some basic ideas of how busy it is. Right. But it can show you your whole hunt area by photo. These people take some of the best landscape photos, the best meadow photos, the best, you know, just ridge top photos, the best view photos from glassing spots. And man, it's so I use all trails. I use Google Earth photos and I use the public layer in Gaia. So Gaia has a way when you create a route or a biking route or a hiking route, you can make it public with photos. And a lot of people do. Now, I I don't recommend you do that as a hunter, uh, but a lot of people do because they're just recreating and they'll tell you, man, this trail was a real bitch. It was deadfall the whole way, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, that's good to know. That's just good stuff. And you know, so this is not stuff that was, and I'm getting ready to do a add-on module for the course for this because it's not a lot of this is not in the course, and um, because there's just a lot of these resources that are available to us that you would never dream are useful for hunting, but they're just one more tool that you could put in your toolbox. And you know, I that's what I said this weekend. I said, guys, when it comes to finding elk and e-scouting and finding places where elk want to be. It's about a toolbox. If you're going to work on your truck, 
Are you only going to use a freaking screwdriver for everything? No. So why would you approach your e-scouting, your hunt, your elk finding tactics the same way? You know, don't use one tool. Don't become one dimensional. Don't try to just wing it. Um, Get a little more organized. Now, can you kill elk? I mean, Kevin, it sounds like you're pretty successful with killing elk. A little more organization might be 100% successful. So um, I don't know. I, you know, elk cutting, all I'm trying to do is the average, I don't know what it is in Canada, but down here, archery hunting on DIY, do it yourself on public land, man, it's in the five to 8% range. Yeah. I don't know what it is up here in Canada. It's probably, it's probably the same. If you want to, if you want to be a 10%, I always say this is a quote. I always say all the time. If you want to be a 10% elk hunter, then keep acting like a 10% elk hunter because that's what you're going to be. You yeah. might get lucky every now and then. You might you might even get lucky two years in a row. But Ryan Lampers, I don't know if you that dude oh, yeah. is a freaking killing machine. Yeah, he's bad. And he, I don't even know if he's ever gone a year not killing elk. So when it comes to DIY public land elk, he's hurting the odds for you. So he's one of the people that is making it like take, it's not really 10%. Yeah. Because once you, once you take the lampers out of that 10%, you're left with 6%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're going to, uh, now he is a pretty good East counter, but he's also just a freaking, he just, he's, he's just experience driven and he just knows where the, he just has an innate ability. So unless you have that ability taking the time to do the things we just talked about is going to increase your percentages almost like just astronomically. And uh, I just can't tell you, I mean, two years ago I launched this course. So this was the first year that I got testimonials back and I'm kind of a little mad. I'm a little pissed off to be totally honest. I got dudes first year elk hunting, sending me bulls of way bigger than anything i've ever freaking killed <laughs> and they're like dude this bull was on the bench exactly where you said three quarters of the way oh, we made one call he came i'm like don't even talk to me don't talk to me um and so i've got this testimonial after testimonial after testimonial now some of it was related to elk finding right but some of it was hunt planning some of it was zones of pressure some of it was just knowing their limitations and working. It was just, it wasn't all one thing. It's the combination of things. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. Nope. Totally, man. Oh, that's awesome. Um, Man, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Pete, you got anything? I I think we'll wrap it up. We've kept Mark for long enough and yeah. Well, um, maybe, maybe another time here in the future when your schedule eases up again, that'd be awesome. I'm going to, you know, I'm committed to now you guys kind of started my fire here and I, and I've had three people in the last two weeks and asking me about Canadian resources. So I'm going to, I'm going to dig in. I'm going to go as far as it says, I'm probably in the, in the the next year going to try to add a Canadian. um, Now I'm not going to be able to speak too much about how the elk work, but at least the tech and how to, you know, how to get your tech or, 
set up. Yeah. Because I, I guarantee there's a lot of, K, I use a lot of KML files and shape files. They're called KML files and shape files. That's what you put into Google Earth to make it do additional things beyond just aerial photo capabilities. Yeah. And I was already, I did a quick little search and I was finding all kinds of things. So I know there's a lot of GIS mapping capability things in Canada. I just need to, I just need to start locating it and organizing it. Yeah, that'd be badass, man. No, I know oh, there's, yeah. like I said, it, we're a little bit behind you, but hunting's starting to really pick up popularity here. Like with the bear hunting, especially too, like bear hunting is just, it's like, you hear a lot more guys this year, I think are going to start trying bear hunting then. So um, you guys, what's your grizzly bear situation? That's always, <laughs> you guys are like, you guys are like, are you just like getting chewed up on a daily basis up there or what's happening? <laughs> we got a lot of bears. Yeah. yeah. No yeah. shortage of bears, grizzly bears. <laughs> black bears we got but yeah i mean that's one nice thing about bc is we got uh we got a little bit of everything so we got sheep goats but you guys everything. but you guys can't hunt grizzly anymore there right no no yeah, yeah. oh man if that... you want to see a grizzly bear just come on up we can show you many don't worry well, about that. i'm you i'm used to being in grizzly country a lot but um i was like that just cannot work out well i mean there's just no way you could go from hunting him for how many years to zero hunting and just expect things to be smooth <laughs> yeah yeah there's it, a lot there's a lot yeah and the thing is a lot of people go their whole life without seeing one it's just there's just so much area to cover it's yeah, yeah. but they're hell on freaking fawns man oh, oh yeah when we yeah. hunt in may here that's about the time we're dropping fawns here you know and and half most of the time the bears the black bears here are really up high because the grizzlies are all down low they don't want to go down there yeah. and the grizzlies are low because they're just they're circling those elk just waiting for those calves yeah. to drop yeah so yeah good stuff man well anytime guys i really enjoyed it and um, yeah, i'm kind of i'm kind of next time maybe we'll talk a little more about I'm going to have to get up there and do something. Dude, uh, yeah. 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 You're, and, um, you're, uh, your buddy, Brian. Yeah. He's been up here a few times and I've seen a couple yeah, of them. He's been up there. Goat um, Cause they got it. They got the, they got the, what's the rule. What's the non-resident rules up there with the resident? Like, how does it work? You got to well, go through a, a guide if you're non-resident. Yeah. yeah. Is it we, a guide we, or is it a resident that, can take a certain number of people is that not in your area no it's basically not the same easy. as is alaska like in terms of so like you, you can hunt if it's a direct family member okay yeah uh so if somebody in the states is like your brother uh okay. yeah, i don't even think it's a cousin next to kin can come up but other than that yeah you need a has to be through uh, a geo guide outfitter so but okay. I mean, we know lots of those guys so okay yeah, we'll be in touch, man. We'll say you know, something, maybe a goat hunt or something crazy. Oh man, yeah, goat sheep be, or some. I better. I got to do that before I get too too old, right? Yeah. Hey, man. Thanks a lot, eh? That's awesome. Thanks, we're we're going to put uh, everything up in the show notes. Well, I appreciate that a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Cheers. Okay, Pete. We'll talk to you later. You betcha. I want to thank everyone again for tuning in to another episode of the Folk Hunting Podcast, which is coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoors Collective. This episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics, the best in optics period, Backroads Maps, never get lost with Backroads Maps, and AKU Boots, you owe it to your feet. 
A uh, quick shout out to Howl for Wildlife. If you guys are not familiar with Howl for Wildlife, make sure you head on over to howlforwildlife.org. Become a member. It doesn't cost you anything. They've got tons of great stuff going on, and uh, we're going to be working with them, getting some Canadian issues put on their uh, platform. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks again, everybody.